This is the audio of Bible study taught by Pastor Adam Moline from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You can find our website at goodshepherdlincoln.org, and there's a uh, treasure trove of other information available there as well. Uh, let's get into Bible study now. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Last week we were talking about, um, <clears throat> well, we started with baptism. We kind of moved into confession and absolution. Any questions on anything that we talked about last week? Okay, my encouragement is to take advantage of confession and absolution, not just in the service, but also for those sins, we say in the catechism, that you know and feel in your heart. Uh, pastors are available, schedule an appointment with us, and uh, we're happy to uh, listen to your sins. <laughs> it sounds bad to say it that way, but to listen to them for the purpose of having them forgiven. And when I say that, then... Um, what I mean is it's to unburden your conscience. And I think something I should say that I probably didn't say last week is when a man becomes a pastor, he makes a series of vows, one of which is to never divulge the sins of someone who confesses to them. So... If you confess your very worst sin, I don't pass it on. <laughs> not to Pastor Poppy, not to my wife or family, not uh, in a Bible study or into a sermon or anything like that, because the pastor, when he's hearing confession, is acting, this is going to sound weird, but acting as God's ear. And then... When he pronounces the absolution, he's acting as God's mouth. So he hears the sins on behalf of God, and he announces the absolution on behalf of God. And in that way, God is the one at work. And for that reason, um, the sin is supposed to die in the pastor's ear. And when you confess it, um, the pastor forgets it. Um, because it's not to me that you're confessing, it's to God through me uh, in an instrumental means. Does that make sense? So I say that so that you know if you ever do need confession and absolution, which uh, perhaps if you have a pulse you might someday, <laughs> right? That it's, it's available and that you don't have to worry about that part of it. The other part I want to... Uh, make sure I hammer home about confession and absolution and the, the office of the keys is that um, the forgiveness that is given then is given free and clear just as Christ gives his forgiveness free and clear. The pastor here will never say, um, you know, D, you can be forgiven if you write me a check for $350. The pastor will never say, uh, you know, Jess, you can be forgiven for dating the vicar. If no, just do that. I don't know if that's forgivable. No, just joking. <laughs> oh, here he comes. All right, everybody put a straight face on. 
I saw him coming, that's why I had to do it. So. <clears throat> you can be forgiven um, if you do Sunday school for us, or if you pray this particular prayer, or you do X, Y, and Z. The forgiveness that Christ has earned has already been paid for by what he does. Um, and so there's no strings attached to the forgiveness that is pronounced. Um, no strings attached as long as you are a repentant Christian. Does that make sense? I think we talked about that last time. Um, so, with that, any questions about confession and absolution? All right. Trying to keep us moving here. Let's move on to um, lesson 10 then on page 37. Page 37. All right. The Lord's Supper. Okay. Uh, sometimes it's called the sacrament of the altar. Sometimes it's called communion. Sometimes in the scriptures it's called the breaking of the bread. All of these names are talking about the same thing, which uh, involves the event that takes place in church at the altar where bread and wine have God's word spoken over them and Christ's body and blood then are delivered to you for forgiveness of sins, the true body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine. Now, that's what the Lord's Supper is. It's recorded for us in four places in Scripture, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written um, very, very early in the 50s. And uh, in 1 Corinthians, in the 50s uh, A.D., not the 1950s, I should make that clear, <laughs> just the regular 50s, zero zero five zero. When Paul writes about it in the early 50s, he says, What I have received, I now pass on to you, which indicates already by that time it was well established, and Paul has been taught about it and received the teaching on the Lord's Supper from those who are earlier, whether it's Christ himself in the vision or whether it's from the practice of the church already or, as I kind of think, both, <laughs> right? Because we have it recorded for us um, right after the day of Pentecost as well in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2. Um, so why do I point all that out? The Lord's Supper goes all the way back to Christ himself on Monday, Thursday, the night in which he was betrayed. Okay, and that's what the words say. Um, and from that day onward, the church was practicing the Lord's Supper. They were having it regularly. The book of Acts teaches us that, that they uh, gathered regularly for the breaking of the bread. Um, that's very clear. So it's an early, early teaching. And what does it say, right? So let's read Matthew 26, uh, 26 through 29. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. 
For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. That is what's known as the verba, the defining words of what the Lord's Supper is. And there's slight differences in the way it's written, very, very small, uh, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 1 Corinthians. But they all do say the same things, uh, maybe with just different wording and um, uh, different uh, parts of it recorded. And the central teachings that we have there are, first off, take, eat, this is my body, about the bread, and drink of the cup of wine, this is my blood. Those things are central to our understanding of what the Lord's Supper is, and they are um, from the words of Christ himself when he instituted the Lord's Supper. I point that out because that's then where we go to to learn about the Lord's Supper is to the words of Jesus himself. So with that, there are, this isn't, uh, I want to make sure we talk about this. Um, On the back on page 38, there are basically, and I say basically because when you summarize, you you lose some details for the sake of simplicity, and that's what we're going to do. There are basically three main teachings about the Lord's Supper. Okay? There is the Lutheran view, which we call the real presence. And we'll talk about that in a second. There is the Reformed view, which uh, oftentimes is summarized as the memorial meal. Uh, And again, we're oversimplifying for uh, the sake of... uh, talking about it. And then there is the Roman Catholic view, which is known as transubstantiation. Okay, and there are these three different views in general in the the world today about the Lord's Supper. Okay, there's really a fourth view that um, is a a different understanding uh, as far as Christ's body and blood, you ascend into heaven. This is the the Calvinist view. And uh, I'm just going to lump that in with the memorial meal because it's essentially the same with just slight differences. And really there's a fifth view in our world today amongst Christians that say it's not important at all, right? Okay, and that would be like, does anybody in here know the Salvation Army? Right, they they ring the bells at Christmas time. They would say the Lord's Supper doesn't really matter. It's just an outward confession of what's already in your heart, and so it doesn't matter. We're not going to talk about that view either, but it's there. I just want you to be aware. So the three main views are the memorial meal, the real presence, and transubstantiation. So I want to start with our view, which is the real presence. What we do is we take Christ at his word, okay, And in the words of institution, what does he say? He says, take and eat. This bread is my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this wine is my blood. Okay? 
And so Christ says the bread is his body. He says the wine is his blood. And we take him at his word. And we don't try to understand how. We don't try to explain it. We just say Christ says it. And so we believe it. For that reason, we we teach that when you come to the Lord's Supper, you are receiving Christ's body in, with, and under the bread. Okay, and we use that phrase to kind of say it's all together in one thing. You're receiving Christ's body in the bread, his physical body, his whole body. Right, which is kind of crazy when you start to think about it, that each of us is receiving the whole body of Christ in each bite of bread that we get. We say the same thing about the blood, that in each sip of wine, no matter the size, right, whether it's the little shot glass or whether it's a teeny tiny sip from the chalice, that you get the whole blood of Christ, in, with, and under the wine. So you get the body, you get the blood in the bread and the wine, and it brings you forgiveness of sins. It delivers it to you here and now. Okay? So that's the Lutheran view in in a stripped-down, simple way. We're just going to say what God's Word says. Any questions about the Lutheran view so far? That's not on the back of page 38, the Lutheran view? It's not. It's not. Uh, Well, it is, but you see it um, right underneath Galatians 3. How many different things are we eating and drinking in the Lord's Supper? We eat the bread and the wine naturally, the body and the blood supernaturally, uh, and we call the entire meal sacramental eating. So that's, that's saying what I'm saying, but it's saying it in a slightly different way. I'm trying to make it, I'm trying to use less pastor words. <laughs> Does that, that make sense then? Yeah, it's, it, so in other words, in my view, it is on there, so. Yeah. Luther view. Yeah. Okay. Now, we all live in the United States, and the United States originally is populated mainly by Protestants from England that have a different view. And so many, many churches, the, most, uh, the majority of churches in the United States don't believe what the Scriptures say and what we believe on the Lord's Supper. Most of them would follow more of a memorial meal. And they come out of the Reformed tradition. And they apply rational mind to what's going on. Okay? Uh, and what I mean is, um, so I'm going to steal D's pan here. D has these pans. Okay? And they say, this is a pan, and it's made out of aluminum. Okay? And it's the shape of a pan, and for that reason we know that it is aluminum pan. Okay? Is it possible that this pan is the vicar? I mean, it maybe has the same personality. (laughs) See, he left again, so I can do that, right? (laughs) Poor Jess. I'm just... uh, He abandoned you here. Yeah. (laughs) 
It's, we can't say that it is the vicar, right? Because rationally that just doesn't make sense. And they take that same way of thinking and they look at communion. And they look at the bread and they say, okay, in this little piece of bread, is it possible to fit the entire body of Christ into that little piece of bread? Rationally thinking. No. In fact, they'd say if you look at it um, under a microscope or you did um, tests to determine what the content of the bread was, you know, by um, using lasers to burn it and determine how far the different molecules fly uh, and thereby calculating their weight, right? If you did that, what would you find that the bread is made out of? <laughs> yeah, flour. <laughs> yeah. Um, bread stuff. And the same with the wine. You look at it, you test it, it's just wine. And is it possible to fit an entire person's blood into that little tiny shot glass? No, right? So rationally, and and then they, they say, Christ ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father. And um, so Vicar's not here. Can he be here and wherever it is that he is? No, he can only be in one place at a time. And if Christ is at the right hand of God, then he also must be in only one place at one time. And so they say that the Lord's Supper cannot be Christ's body and cannot be Christ's blood. And for that reason, they say, when we get together and we have the Lord's Supper and we eat the bread, we're remembering Christ's body died for us. When we drink the wine, and uh, the church that I grew up in, they didn't even use wine. Uh, They used Welch's grape juice. Okay, when we drink the Welch's grape juice, we remember Christ's blood. And in fact, the grape juice, and this, they always emphasize the grape juice side of it, it looks a little bit like blood, doesn't it? And when I was little, I said, yeah, but it's purple. <laughs> okay. What kind of people have purple blood? Um, we remember Christ, and that's the important part of the Lord's Supper then, our work of remembrance. Yeah. They, they do say the words, our Lord Jesus Christ, and I was betrayed, took the bread, gave thanks, but they emphasize different parts of it. So for us, the big part is take, eat, this is my body, take, drink, this is my blood. They emphasize he broke it. And all that means when it says breaks is it, they divided it up amongst them. And then they also emphasize, do this in remembrance of me, to the point where many churches, they pass it out to everybody down the pews, and everybody holds it in their hands until the pastor says, do this in remembrance of me. And that then becomes the important part, the remembrance of Christ in what you're doing. Now, where this gets to be tricky is, Who's doing the doing then in the Lord's Supper with that memorial view? The, the people. The work is to remember Jesus. And that's then your responsibility in 
the Lord's Supper, to remember Jesus. Which means it's not God doing the work. So, does it deliver forgiveness of sins then? Only if you do a really, really good job remembering, right? Because it's up to you then to accomplish it. So, it doesn't bring forgiveness of sins, and they don't ever really talk about that side of it. And it is our act of remembering Christ. Furthermore, because it's rational, uh, I want to ask this question. Can Jesus be more than one place at the same time? Yes. Because he is also, he's not just a man like Vicar who cannot, right? He's not just a man, he's also who? And where's God's location? Yeah, he's omnipresent. He is located everywhere. And so Christ is everywhere in that sense. So it's denying the, the reality of who God is as well and changing who Jesus is, in a sense, limiting his power by saying he can't be in the bread if he wants to be. Okay? Are you still following me? Okay. So we, we, don't, we, we disagree with this memorial meal idea. Okay, and like I said, the Calvinists change it just a little bit. They say Christ can't be everywhere. And uh, so when we take the Lord's Supper, we go up into heaven where he is and we're eating him in heaven in that way. Okay, which is just, it's the same problem. They just changed a few of the details. Who are Calvinists? Who are Calvinists? (laughs) Uh, Calvinists, John Calvin was another reformer who came right at the end of Luther and right after him in France. And uh, Switzerland is where he did a lot of his work. And he was very, very rational. And out of his tradition flow basically all the other Protestant churches. But the people who really hold to what he taught maybe are in the Presbyterian sort of churches today. That's a really oversimplified answer again <laughs> for the, the sake of time. Okay? All right. Other questions about the memorial meal view? I want to, oh, one more thing. So the grape juice. Is it the Lord's Supper if we use grape juice? No, because it says wine in the right. sacrament. Is grape juice the same as wine? No. No, right? Because, all right, can Dean have grape juice? Okay. Can he have wine? <laughs> He's not supposed to. Right? Dean, if you walk into High V, can you buy a bottle of grape juice? Can you buy a bottle of wine? No. no, not unless you have the fake ID, right? Do you still got that? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> okay. Why can't he buy both? Because there is a difference. Well, how do we know that Jesus used wine? Did you know that grape juice wasn't invented until the uh, 1800s? They didn't know how to do it because the moment 
that you picked grapes and squished them and the juice came out, what immediately started happening? Fermentation. Fermentation, right? Because on the outside of all grapes is yeast. That white stuff, that white, you know, when you rinse it, they look all shiny and then this white stuff is there. That's yeast, okay? And it wasn't until the 1800s and they used pasteurization to stop the fermentation from taking place that you could actually have grape juice, Okay, before that time, there was only wine. Okay, so we know Christ used wine, so grape juice doesn't cut it. Okay. There also, I think, was a difference between the wine we drink today and the wine that they had in the past. Is that the weakness of the alcohol content, and then it also in the Bible talks about strong drink, like a more stronger alcohol than just wine too. So I guess. It could get confusing, too, from that point of view. And what we would say is the definition of wine, and this is uh, still, when you go to the store, mostly true, is grape juice that's been fermented. And so whether it is 8% alcohol, right? So I just made a wine kit and probably ended up at about 8% alcohol is what I ended up with. Or when you buy it at the store, most of it is 12%, okay? Either case, it's still wine because it's fermented grape juice. Now, again, we have another question. What if we have corn syrup in there, right? Like Corbell Canyon. <laughs> okay, we, we, won't use, we won't use that one for communion because of that. We want, it, we want it to just be wine so we can stick with what God's Word says. All that to say, that's another issue with the memorial meal side of things. Okay. Our view, the real presence, the memorial meal, and then also uh, in the church, there's the Roman Catholic view, okay, which is not far from our view, (laughs) really. I'm just going to, as far as what the Lord's Supper is, okay? Uh, And what I mean is, they also say, Christ's word says, this wine is my blood, and this bread is my body. And so they say, the bread is the body, and the wine is the blood. And that part we mostly agree with. Okay, Where we disagree is the explanation of that. Okay, Again, I'm oversimplifying for the sake of time, so I might not get it perfectly in the words of uh, the, the Catholic Catechism. They, what they teach is known as transubstantiation. Okay, so again, if we're going to take Dee's pan, she's never going to sit in the front with things in front of her again, okay? <laughs> this, is, this is a pan because it's shaped like a pan and it has the substance of a pan and the function of a pan. You can cook things in this, right? Okay, so it has the pan substance, the pan shape, and the pan use. Okay, and that's the way that we then define it as a pan. Doing it that way is actually uh, using Aristotelian philosophy, okay, to, to break up what this is in those particular ways, is Aristotelian philosophy. Aristotle um, 
and you could read it. I just want to focus on those threes. three. Looks at the appearance of something. This looks like a pan. The substance, it's made of pan stuff. And the use, it's used for pan things. Okay? And those three things come together so that you know this is a pan. That's Aristotle's um, philosophy, way oversimplified. The, the Catholic Church, um, in around the turn of the millennium, okay, was looking at the Lord's Supper and saying, how do we explain that Christ's body is in the bread? How do we explain that Christ's blood is in the wine? And they looked back in philosophy and heard that, which I just told you about the pan, and they applied it to the Lord's Supper. The bread appears to be bread. It's made out of bread substance, and it's used for bread purpose, right? You eat it, okay? And they said, what if God changed the substance? He took the bread substance out and replaced it with Christ's body's substance. Okay? Hence the word trans substance stiation. God switches the substance in there to be something else. Okay? And so their view is, is that when the priest says the words of institution, that God changes the substance. The appearance is still the same. It still looks like bread. It still looks like wine. And even the use is still the same, right? You still can eat it, okay? And it feels and tastes like bread. And, and drink it, and it feels and tastes like wine. But the substance in itself has been changed. Okay? Are you following me so far? Am I giving a fair... Okay, right? <clears throat> so that's transubstantiation. And while we don't necessarily disagree with the result, <laughs> Christ's body is in the bread and Christ's blood is in the wine, our question would be, where does it teach that in the scriptures that that's what's happening? And on that point, the scripture doesn't teach what God is doing in it. He just teaches us what the result is. And so we don't want to go down that path of trying to explain something that we don't see an explanation for in the Scripture. And so in that part of it, that's where we disagree with the Roman Catholic view. Now there's one little tiny other difference that comes out about that, right? If I took the substance of the pan away and replaced it with the substance of the vicar, okay, we talked about that earlier, vicar, you missed it. You'll have to ask Jess about it. <laughs> Poor Jess. Um, if I took the substance of the pan away and replaced it with the substance of the vicar, then what is the substance of this? The vicar and not aluminum any longer. And so the Roman Catholic view also, while we say Christ's body is in, with, and under the bread, we're getting bread and body, 
and we can't explain how or why, the Roman Catholic view also says the body substance is replaced, and so you're only getting the body. Does that make sense? Is this pan thing helpful? or Because I keep waving it around. I'm afraid I'm going to hit myself. <laughs> Could you go over ours last? So just so it sticks in my mind with what we <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, I can. Any questions about that? We, our main disagreement with the Catholics then is the explanation. Our main disagreement with the uh, other Protestants, I'm just going to be really general, is um, the rationalism that throws out what God says, disagreeing with God's Word. Does that make sense? And so we're this weird group that's kind of in the middle on that, that says we just want to say what God's Word says and nothing more. Is it possible that God changes the substance um, in the way the Catholics. Sure, but he doesn't tell us that, so we're not going to hold to that as a matter of doctrine. Because it's, it's in his silence. And when we start to speak for people in their silence, you know, that's what I do when the vicar walks out of the room. I speak for him on his, uh, behalf of his silence. And are the things that I say always true? No, no. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? We want to make sure we're letting God speak and we're not applying our own words to what he's saying. So then that's why we stick to what our view is, um, where the words of institution say, take, eat, this is my body. Take, drink, this is my blood. And so we say, the bread that we eat is the body of Christ. The blood that we drink, or the wine that we drink is the blood of Christ. And we just say that's what the words of institution say. We can't explain it. God says it. God promises it. And so we believe it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I just meant to say it again. Yep, yep. I believe everything you say, and when you talk about the other stuff, I'm like, oh, well, maybe, I don't know, but... Yeah, yep, yeah. no. I heard somebody else start talking, but I... I was trying to put it together like we were saying, but like, at some point, though, like, we buy boxes of wine, we buy the wafers, so they're just wine wafers, but they become the body and the blood, kind of like the Catholics, it becomes... Yeah, yeah. And what we say, it's 1017, so I'm going to give you the it's 1017 answer, okay? Um, What we say is, God is, just like in Confession Absolution, God's working through the pastor in those things. God works through the Word, when the pastor says, this is my body, this is my blood, the words of Christ, that God is working to bring that about. Now again, where we want to be very careful is, um, (laughs) we're not going to get into the specifics. Is it when you say the word is, 
This is my body. Is that when it is? Or is it when you say the word bod? Or is it when you say e? Or is it when you stop talking and then it is done? Uh, we're not going to... I don't know. Isn't what I know is God's word says, this is my body and this is my blood. And so we're not going to get into the specifics of the time. But that's why what we put on the altar for that purpose is the body and the blood. Uh, so, yes. <laughs> Sorry, Dia. I was, I was just going to say, isn't it just partly us having faith and trusting in his words that that is what we are doing? Yes. Um, we should have faith in the words and trust them. We have to say it's not our faith that brings it about. And why I say that is, um, if Vicar totally hates God, but still gets the body and blood, does that mean it's not the body and blood? Well, if somebody says to you that it's only grape juice and, and bread, to me, they're getting grape juice and bread. If that's what you believe, then that's probably what you're getting. And see, what the Scripture says is that if you say it's only bread and grape juice, and we give you what is Christ's body and blood, uh-huh. that you are getting Christ's body and blood. And yeah. just, I think I've used the pharmacy analogy in, on something else in this class. Is that right? Yeah, the morphine. Yep. So um, if I get morphine and I don't know what it is or how to use it, is it good for me? No, it can really harm me. All right, you're a nurse, Deb. Is that true? Okay, could it kill me? Okay, and that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians also about the Lord's Supper. That if we take and receive it without recognizing what it is, that it causes us great spiritual harm. And he says, this is why um, some of you have even died, because you didn't realize what you're getting. Which is why all the churches, Catholic and Lutheran, who believe Christ's body and blood are present... We all practice what we call closed communion, where we make sure the people who come up to the Lord's Supper know what they're getting so that they're not eating and drinking to their spiritual harm. Okay? I don't know if you mean this, but with the Catholic Church, then they, young kids never have first communion when they're, what, third grade or whatever age it is, I don't know. Do they have any idea why they do that so young for the kids? Um, do they, I don't think kids would necessarily fully know and understand that age. Yeah. What is... Scripture never says uh, a word about what age is appropriate. What it says is the ability to recognize the body and blood are there. And since that's the case, and even here... We don't have a age limit. In fact, because of the way the world is going, we're trying to encourage people to come begin confirmation class a little bit earlier. We want them to be able to understand and listen and learn about it so that they know what they're getting. But we don't want to wait so long that the world has indoctrinated them against it or... Um, just from a practical standpoint where they no longer have time to come and learn about it. And so 
there, there is some benefit to doing it earlier. And, and in fact, we're trying to start kids around second grade, third grade here at Good Shepherd so that they learn earlier what's going on. Kids can learn much more complicated things than we think earlier than we think they can. And Christ himself says, uh, whoever has faith like a little child. Yeah. That is Jesus' body and blood, which can start to blow your mind when every person is getting it. But that's the neat thing, then, is you're getting the whole thing for you. And I I say that not meaning that there are, across the, the world on a Sunday morning, four billion Jesuses being distributed There's still one Christ, but all of us get the whole thing in the Lord's Supper. Which can happen because God is God. Okay. All right. We're we're out of time. We're going to pick up on this some more then next week because our view, taking God's word, at what it says then has some more implications that we need to talk about. We've talked about a little bit, but we want to talk about them a little bit more in depth as well going forward. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.